Hello, hello, and welcome to Our Athletes, the show where I, Michael Razil, your host, get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the Games. Today, fantastic episode with Sarah Hendrickson of USA Skiing. Sarah was one of, she was, all right, let me get this right. She was the first woman to ever have a run in her event. I guess I, I say it a little bit better during the episode. John, you'll understand there, but Sarah is incredible. She um, has had some very unfortunate luck with injuries. Unfortunately, she was, you know, at the top of her sport before she did, but she's been able to come back. She's been able to crush it. She's been able to go to the Olympics. She's been able to just mentally be able to come back from something that many people wouldn't be able to get out of bed after you hear what's happened to Sarah, unfortunately, multiple times. So Sarah was a very great, is a very great person. She was a very great interview. And I, I'm just so happy I had the opportunity to talk to her. You guys will really enjoy it. She's very um, easygoing. She understands. She has a lot of, a lot of good insight. And I hope you guys get a lot, a lot, a lot of inspiration from this episode because it is there and right for the picking. So one more time, Sarah Hendrickson, USA Skiing. I hope you guys have a wonderful episode. All right. And our special, special guest today, Sarah Hendrickson. She is a part of the USA National Ski Jumping Team. She was born in 1994 in Salt Lake City. She's been skiing since she was two, which is utterly unbelievable to me. Um, she's been ski jumping since she was seven, which is still pretty, pretty amazing. So congratulations on that one. I've never even put on skis. So We'll let you do your thing and I'll do mine. Um, she won the first ever Women's World Cup season for ski jumping in 2011 and 2012 by an utter domination. Um, she then finished second in the 2012-2013 season. She unfortunately hurt her knee in August of 2013, but was still able to compete at the 2014 Sochi Games and was actually the first female ever to jump uh, to do ski jumping at the Olympic Games. She was the first one to go off, which I think is just super, super cool. Um, in 2017, she won the U.S ski jumping trials to secure her spot and then went to the 2018 game. So we have a two-time Olympian with us today. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's a little early where you are, but we'll hopefully uh, wake you up a little bit with some nice conversation. <laughs> uh, Sarah, if you don't mind, I mean, obviously I gave a little bit of a synopsis, but if you don't mind giving us a little story time, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So I grew up in Park City, Utah. My parents grew up back east, but moved out uh, west to raise my brother and I, who's, he's three years older than me. And so both of us grew up on skis, basically. And um, yeah, at the age of two for both of us, we were on the bunny hill, just uh, with my dad between his legs and um, having, having ski resorts in your backyard. It just, it's kind of a very normal pattern for the kids around here, um, which I'm very fortunate about. And then, um, yeah, I actually didn't really do any other organized sports. Um, on on ski like with skiing I did I did soccer but in terms of like ski racing or freestyle skiing I never really went down that path um I just skied with my brother and my mom and my dad and then um at 2002 came around I was seven years old and my brother had been ski jumping for about two years and they had a bunch of programs around the 2002 olympics um to get kids involved in all the sports. Um, that's one of the great things that Salt Lake City did with their games is they created a legacy. So um, they had uh, some after school programs and I was kind of sick of watching my brother do it. I was always idolizing him. So 
um, I decided to try it. I, I told my mom that I was sick of just sitting and watching him do it and asked her if I could try it and um, pretty much became hooked ever since. Um, it was uh, it's a very traditional sport. Um, for those of you that don't really know what ski jumping is, um, if you've ever seen Eddie the Eagle, which is the new movie out, um, so that's ski jumping. Obviously, I strive to be better than Eddie the Eagle. No offense to him, but um, you know we're going down the takeoff, going down a huge. People like to call it ramp. We call it an in run at um, about 60 miles an hour. And um, the takeoff, um, contrary to what many people think, it actually hangs at a negative 11 degree angle. So, um, you know, people think it's kind of like a lip and it's actually not. So that's where the jumping comes into play. We, we train for hours and hours to get super explosive and, um, and powerful for that, for that trend transition from our in-run position into our flight position and then obviously in the air um, I fly an average of about a football field in the air but um, men and um, you know other other people have flown um, two and a half football fields that's the world record is um, 200 over 250 meters um, which you can convert that to feet I don't really think in feet these days but um, yeah it's, it's pretty far and my, my record is 145 meters about and so so yeah that's that's the basis of ski jumping you can you can youtube it if you want um but it's a very traditional sport and that's what kind of drew um my attention to it i think um it's very it's very structured and the more i look back it, it really fits my personality i'm a very type a person i um I'm structured and um uh, i like i like everything kind of perfect and a ski jumping will never be perfect, but I, I, I really like the repetition to just kind of build on it and build on it. And, um, yeah, so since the age of seven, I've been, been doing this. And obviously when I started women's ski jumping wasn't in the Olympics. I don't know if anybody knows, knows that, but, um, 2014 was the first time females were allowed in the Olympics for ski jumping. So I always tell people I started in the sport because I loved it. And I think that's what is so important is that like I had passion just, just to do it, just to fly. And, um, that really, um, I think, you know, propelled me to be successful is because I didn't do it because I wanted to go to the Olympics, which is not a bad goal to have, but I just did it because I loved it. I loved flying. I loved the community. Um, and, and that, that really, um, you know, gets you in the sport for all the right reasons. So around the age of 12, I started traveling internationally and, um, I had five older, um, female athletes that I, I looked up to and they, they had been pushing the sport for a long time. And, um, those are the women that, you know, really, you know, pushed the international Olympic committee to get our sport into the Olympics. So finally, when we heard that we would get into the Olympics in 2011, um, you know, I, I said I played soccer. So I played soccer through high school, but then kind of decided that ski jumping was really my passion and what I, what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the Olympics in 2014. And um, yeah, the first time we had a World Cup, um, like you mentioned, I, I won the first season uh, winning, winning nine, nine World Cups out of 13, which was, um, I think, I, I definitely didn't expect that. Um, I was just, I mean, thinking back to that season, it was just amazing. And then the next season, I, I was second, and I also won World Championships in 2013. And um, it was just an amazing time. And then um, as I was training for the 2014 Olympics, 
Um, I, I basically out jumped a hill. And um, when I was talking about how traditional ski jumping is, you know, people think it's a crazy sport, but since it is so old, it's very monitored. So we monitor the wind, we monitor equipment. Um, you know, it's, it, it's very in, in speed and speed. We monitor speed, you know, you see freestyle skiers and they don't really know how much speed they're taking into a jump. But for us, it's, it's all like, we know down exact to the T how much speed we need to take. So when this crash happened, basically the wind picked up and we didn't really, um, I mean, it, it changed in a matter of, of seconds. By the time I had already started my jump and the wind picked up and my coach, you know, couldn't do anything about it. And um, I, I out jumped a hill, basically landed on complete flats and um, tore my ACL, my MCL off the bone, damaged all my meniscus and um yeah i just remember laying at the bottom of the hill like you know just my whole world just exploded in, in my face and um i i luckily had an amazing surgeon at the time and this was six months out of the olympics so if anybody knows acl injuries they say it's about six six months really it's about 10 months but um luckily he was a very progressive surgeon and we got it fixed and i just rehabbed about six hours a day to to get back and um, i ended up ski jumping at five months and qualifying um by coach's discretion and um ended up at the 2014 olympics and um the reason i was the first female to jump at the olympics is um the the bib order for the start is based off of world cup ranking. So since I hadn't competed in any of the world cups because of my injury, I was handed bib number one. So that was kind of the silver lining to the whole disaster. And, um, it was really frustrating. I mean, it's still really frustrating to just, um, you know, be a world champion and have all this success and then have everything just blow up. And, um, I was probably a medal contender and, then it was I just had to shift all those goals and go okay well I guess I just want to go into opening ceremonies now so um that was really hard but it was definitely a privilege to be in that first event for women ski jumpers um yeah and then um I can summarize the next four years into the next Olympics and um it includes four more knee surgeries unfortunately um four four more knee surgeries. Oh, yeah. On, on the same knee, on the same yeah. knee. So, um, I had a, a good year, uh, right after the Olympics, I was back on the world cup podium and then, um, it just, my ACL retore and I'd have, um, a two stage process to get it fixed again. And it was 18 months of rehab and, um, it was just really, really frustrating. But, um, again, it was kind of like, well, I, I still want to do this. And, um, I, I kind of knew that I jeopardized my knee the first time I rehabbed because I did it so quickly. So I kind of had this acceptance like, okay, let's do it one more time and, and keep going from there. And um, yeah, unfortunately my results definitely have never been like they were that first season and super frustrating, but um, I did win Olympic trials um, in December of 2017 to secure that first spot. And that was a huge highlight of my career. Um, we never get to compete in front of um, my home in Park City, my home crowd, because all of our World Cups are in Europe or in Asia. So, um, you know, it's amazing to com compete in front of your your friends and family as as more pressure, as much more pressure as it is. It's still um, a great feeling. So, and then yeah, I competed in 2018 Olympics and 
I say it's, um, it's kind of a very mediocre, forgettable experience. I don't want to downplay. I mean, it was, um, I was 19th, I think. And that's just very, it's just kind of like a water, whatever result, especially when, you know, people find out you're an Olympian and then immediately ask, Oh, did you win a medal? And then you have to like, kind of reply like, Nope, Nope. I was really far away from that. So that's, that's kind of like a stab in the heart every time that happens. But, um, I guess some days I am still mad about it, but other days I'm just like, well, I, I did what I could. I've fought, fought my fight and, um, just happy to be a two-time Olympian, I guess, at the end of the day, most days. <laughs> You're, uh, you know, one of the few, definitely, you know, that that's actually a story just to start at the end. Um, thank you so much for that. You know, really appreciate you giving us a really, really good understanding of everything that you've gone through. It is extremely frustrating just hearing it. I can sincerely not even say I can understand anything that you went through. Um, but, you know, we appreciate all that you're doing and, and the, the time and the energy, the blood, sweat, the literal tears that went into this. Um, so I definitely want to make sure we say that. Um, that is one thing that I've been hearing a lot recently, which is super frustrating. When I talk to a lot of these athletes, you included hearing people just assuming, oh, you went to the Olympics. Did you get a medal? And that's like the first question. And, and like, let's take a step back. You're literally one of the 20 best, 19 best something in the entire world. That is mind-boggling to me. I'm never going to be 19th best at anything. As I said before, if I could ever be first best at anything, that would be unbelievable. Um, but I'm never going to be 19th best at anything. You were 19th best at a sport. You went to the Olympics multiple times now. Please, everything you've done, we sincerely appreciate it. I just think it is so cool I get the opportunity to talk to you. Um, so definitely, you know, don't feel that way. I hope eventually one day people, the narrative will change a little bit and NBC will stop worrying about only medals. Um, we'll actually start worrying about the actual athletes themselves. And this is what I'm trying to do. And this is why I'm trying to do it. So, um, so thank you so much for that. So the um, let's, I guess, again, thank you so much. That was very in depth and I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. Let's go back to the first Olympics. Like it's, I guess, as you said, the silver lining of unfortunately, you know, hurting your ACL, was that you actually get to jump first. Now, that is super cool. That is history book kind of stuff. Obviously, I'm sure you would have rather won, but at the same time, at least you got something out of it. Like, what is that feeling? Like, you've flown through the air, as you put it, multiple times, you know, hundreds if not thousands of times at this point, I'm assuming, if not even more. Um, you know, what? what is it like, like, finally going down the, I'm sorry, the inline? Was that what it was called? The inrun. Inrun. In okay, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. It's all good. Um, with going down the in run the first time and actually taking off, you know, jumping and you're in the air is, I don't know what's going through your head at that point. It's the Olympics. Either you're thinking, Oh, this is the same thing. Or you're finally realizing, Holy crap, I'm at the Olympics and I'm flying through the air at the Olympics. Like tell us a little bit more about that and like what that whole experience was like and how you were able to soak that all in. Um, again, in an unfortunate situation, you still got something out of it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's really funny because, um, when you have three days of training at the Olympics, which is a lot more than you usually get at the um, at a World Cup or something, so it's all official training. So you you have a bib and you're in order, and you get three jumps each day if the weather permits. So the first day, you know, our coaches come in with our bibs that we'll have for the next three days, and they and I remember like my coach like handing me the bib. And I like looked at it and um, at the time I was quite used to going at the end of the round because of my success. And I liked that. I, I was, um, it was easier to gauge the timing and everything when to go to the top, when to tie my boots, you know, small things like that. 
I remember looking at it and going like, oh man, bib number one, are you serious? And I remember my teammate who is, was at the forefront of fighting for our sport and everything. And she looked at me and she's like, Sarah, you, you were, you will literally be the first girl to go off the ski jump at the Olympics. And I kind of went like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. And, um, I, I tweeted about it. Um, I think maybe one day before the competition and like it got like 15,000 retweets, which was just like really cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, your brain does a crazy thing when you're under that much chaos and pressure. So you really just try and like treat it like every other competition and, you know, you can take it all in, but you have to just focus on what your coaches are telling you and, and all that. So, um, I can't really say I was thinking anything differently. I do remember sitting at the top and, um, we're really close with all the girls from around the world because we've been fighting for this chance for, for so long, which is so cool. I mean, I have best friends, you know, from France, from Japan, from, from everywhere. And I remember, you know, looking around and I think, I can't remember if I said that loud. I think I said it loud. And I said like, like guys, we made it like, we are literally at the Olympics right now. And it was just like, I mean, we still just like get goosebumps with that because it's just like whether, you know, whatever that result, like those 30 girls, we only got, we only had 30 invited, which is a very, very small field compared to the 70 that the men get. And, um, you know, it was just like, we, we made it, we, you know, this is, this is pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a very competitive person. So at the end of the day, I was, you know, pretty frustrated with my 21st result that I had that day. And, um, but you know, as, as the days, years progress, I, I do appreciate that experience and, um, just kind of remember that it was kind of history making and, um, it's an honor to be a part of that. Absolutely. That is just super cool. I love it. That is so cool. Yeah. And that's so true. And I guess actually a good question to run off that is how long has men's ski jumping been in the Olympics compared to women's? Yes. A uh, hundred years since the very first 1926 so it was really? one of the original i think there were six original sports i can't name six right now but yep they've been in ever since um the very first and um yeah it's just very traditional male sport which is you know totally fine i think most sports started like that yeah yeah, yeah. and um but it, you know and there's there's girls that really tried to push through through the 50s through the 60s and they were just denied and um, finally in the in the 90s and early 2000s um, you know my teammates and some girls from Norway and Germany they really were like you know we're not going away like this is this is what we want to do and um, yeah so it's just it's just been changing tradition basically and we don't you know I respect the men beyond words and um, I, I watch them compete all the time. I look up to them and I want to take nothing away from them. And, um, you know, they're, they're in, in Europe, they make millions. They're the NFL players of Europe, if you can believe that. Um, but it's just more like I was born female. I want to ski jump. I don't need to compete against the men. I just want to compete against other women. So why can't we be given the opportunity? So, you know, slowly it's progressing. We have one event compared to the three events that the men have in the Olympics, um, which is very frustrating, but um, it's, it's a foot in the door. And I like to think that it's going in the right direction. 
Well, it's a hundred percent. Absolutely. It's going in the right direction. No, no doubt about that. I was actually going to use the exact same foot in the door analogy you did. So thanks for, uh, thanks for <laughs> listening to what I got going on in my head. Um, that's just, it's very, I mean, I can understand the beginning from the 1920s, 30s, like kind of through the 60s. That's not surprising. Um, it's just, it's crazy by the 70s and 80s. Like if there were enough women that wanted to do this and they've been doing it long enough and, and they're professional at it, as you said, in Europe, they've been doing, you know, the, the men there are like the NFL players. So I'm assuming the women are just a little bit higher on a pedestal. Like that's just, it's very confusing to me that it took till 2012 or 2000. 14 i'm sorry for it to finally become an olympic sport like that's just i I don't know by like 1990 you would think they'd be like oh you know maybe you know we have the hill here (laughs) might as well utilize it right like like that's just super confusing to me so what do you think other than obviously you know the um the the difference in sex gender kind of thing was it was there just not enough women involved in the sport was did people just not think anyone would watch like from your point of view and kind of from what you've heard, you know, from your, your teammates, what, what do you think was one of the biggest reasons for these last like 30 years for it to finally take hold and get into the Olympics? Yeah, I think it's um, a lot of things. I think at first, yeah, there weren't enough women, but then there were, I mean, when we tried to get into the 2010 Olympics and we had plenty of women with plenty of nations and skier cross got added instead of us. And that was really frustrating because it's like literally it's one event and the the venue is already there. Like with ski across, they had to add male and female, Mm -hmm. you know, a whole new group of athletes and a whole new venue. That's like not easy to make. So, um, so that was definitely lack of participants was a case in the nineties, I would say, (laughs) but then it was like, okay, but, um, there's there was just this huge the IOC president International Olympic um, mm-hmm. Committee uh, president just literally had statements that was like it's not appropriate from the medical point of view for females and like I was talking about how traditional and safe it is it really is traditional and safe it's it's ranked one one of the safest Olympic sports and, you know, downhilling is very, you know, talk to Lindsay Vaughn, it's very dangerous. You know, all these other sports that are just like, they're way more dangerous than ski jumping. So it was just kind of excuse after excuse. So our kind of philosophy, um, since ski jumping is such a technical sport and that you have to be quite mean and light, um, from a spectator's point of view, a girl and a guy can jump the same distance. And from a spectator, it can look like a girl is just as good as a guy. And I think that that kind of scared some of the, um, the head honcho mm-hmm, men mm-hmm. in the sport. And um, again, like females, we would take a little bit more speed. Um, but usually a spectator doesn't know that they don't really take that into effect because it it doesn't look like that big of a difference. So we can jump just as far as the men, we use a little bit more speed, but since it's so technical, like we can look exactly the same on the hill as the men and go the same distance. So they, I think they got a little bit threatened with that and, um, they didn't really want to, um, have us look better than the men, which I don't think is the case at all. I still think men, I mean, they're, Look how much older their sport is than us. They have more competitors and and more more nations, of course, just like any other male sport to female or male side of the sport to female. So 
Um, so I honestly think that that definitely played a role in it. It was just that they just didn't want to have females look as good as the men. Um, but, you know, I don't like to, uh, you know, ruffle any, mm-hmm. any waters or just I understand. Say, Absolutely. Say, say thank you. And, um, um, yeah, kind of go with it. The politics of the sport are quite frustrating, but um, kind of take what you can get and run with it and push what you can. Love it. And keep doing it. You guys are doing a great job. And we, we again, sincerely appreciate it. That is just, that, that's got to be super frustrating that in most cases, and again, this isn't true. It's just kind of the narrative is that, oh, well, we don't want to watch the women because they're not as good as the men. And in this case, it's actually, we don't want to, we don't want the women there because they're as good, if not better than the men. Like to me as a spectator, it's completely backwards. I want to watch you guys no matter what. I don't, I don't care in, in any case. And it's just, well, Oh, you're telling me so they can be just as good, if not better. Heck yeah. Let's watch it. Like it's, it's unfortunate. Like I, you know, like women's basketball is just incomparable to men's basketball. I still watch it. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's obviously not going to be the same thing because of, bigger, stronger, faster. It's just kind of how, you know, biology works. But in this case, it's the literal opposite. And that's just so frustrating. Not now, I know I'm all learning this for the first time with which I'm sure most people listening to this are doing the same as well. And that's just, you know, I can only I can't actually imagine what you guys kind of had to go through for those, you know, few years where it's like, this is ridiculous. Like the hill is here. Just let us go down it. You know, it's not like yeah. like that's that's the most mind-boggling part to me is it's it's there as you said they had to build an entire new venue for another sport and you know heck that sport deserves it keep killing it for them but the hill was there like why can't you guys just go down it like that's ridiculous to me yeah it, it was yeah 2010 was very frustrating and actually uh, um, there was a court case that um, some of my teammates were a part of in 2010 to sue the Vancouver Olympic committee because it was discrimination against the females because it was on um, city land or whatever. The ski jump was on city land and they were discriminating against the women. And basically they won the court case and said, yes, this is discrimination, but basically no one has an upper hand over the international Olympic committee. So it was just kind of this like, okay, you won the case, but like, yeah, exactly. It was like great thumbs job. up. Yeah, great job. So you're right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you than that. Like it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's definitely it's interesting, but um, you know, again, I I I I respect the men and I watch the men, and um, and it's just like I I was born female. I don't know what you want me to do. I I want to fly. I we can, you know, we can do it just just as well and just give us the opportunity to compete against women. We're not going to take anything away from you ever. I mean, men's ski jumping will always be more popular than women's ski jumping. Just give us 2% of what they have. Exactly. And finally, you've gotten that. And hopefully, as you said, you only have one event currently. Hopefully we get the other two coming up relatively soon. So congratulations on all that stuff. That is, um, I, I really appreciate the background and the history and, uh, you know, just learning about some of these things is, is just incredible to me. Um, so a couple other questions off your story, which was, again, really, really fantastic. Um, one thing you said that I thought was really interesting is you type A personality, so perfection, kind of having everything managed. And then you said Olympic ski, you know, ski jumping is not perfect. Now, is there a drive for you? Obviously, you know you'll never get perfect because it's impossible. Let's be honest about that. It's a sport. But is, is that where a big 
part of your drive comes from wanting it to be perfect, wanting to get everything exactly the same and kind of knowing you'll never be able to, I guess, or like just trying to get as close to, you know, 99.9% as possible. Is that something that you, you know, drives you a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think, is there anything, is there such thing as a perfect ski jump? Eh, Probably not. Definitely not. Um, But I mean, what drives me is just that feeling of, flying I mean it's just amazing and when you have a good jump okay it's not perfect but it's a good jump and and you'll you know when you talk to your coach at the bottom you know radio up to him because he's standing what we call at the takeoff so he can see the in run and the flight and all that and radio up and you know just say like oh that was that was a good jump and he'll say yeah good job go do it again so is it necessarily perfect no but it's good enough to get the you know, that you're not getting coached for that jump. So, but that feeling of coming off the takeoff and we know within milliseconds if the jump is good or not. And um, we call it like getting effect. You get, you know, we, we fight gravity, you know, so and our skis are working with us, our body. So we know immediately if it's, if it's a good jump or not. And that feeling is, it's like nothing else in the whole world. And then once you're in your flight position, all the hard work from the takeoff is done and you just get to fly. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's an amazing feeling. That is super cool. I'll never do that, but (laughs) I love living vicariously through you and hearing your story. So now I'm going to keep, keep doing that. And I'm going to let, let you, uh, let you take me through. That is super cool. Do you, um, just completely side note, do you have like a, uh, a YouTube channel where you have a GoPro attached to your head and we're just flying through the air with you? (laughs) Um, I don't personally, but there are some ski jumpers that do. Um, It is uh, the weight of a GoPro, which sounds like so silly, but it can like definitely throw you off. So, um, but there, you can find some, there's a Slovenian jumper that jumps with one on um, going over 200 meters. So check that out for sure. It's, it's, It's amazing. Well, you did say everything is crazy calculated. So I can absolutely believe the aerodynamics of having a GoPro on and the weight of it could definitely throw you off. So that is super cool. Hopefully um, GoPro figures out how to make ones that you can just plug into your glasses and we can see what you're seeing or, or even those contact lens ones, maybe some James Bond stuff. That'd be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, true, true. That would be pretty fun. Um, so your first Olympics, as you kind of already went over it, you were extremely grateful to be there. After the fact, you kind of figured out, oh my gosh, like it's so much you know, obviously you were disappointed with your finish, but at the same time, 21st best in the world is something is incredible. Um, and you still were able to go and do all that. Can you compare your first Olympics to your second Olympics for us and kind of how the different, you know, what, you know, cause how many people get to go to two Olympics, let alone three Olympics. So by the, the second one, you're kind of head honcho, you're the veteran, you've done this a couple of times, literally, you know, what was, what was the difference like there either with dealing with some of the other athletes? Cause the first time you guys were all new, it was all your first time. And then the second time it's, you know, going to be a little different. Can you compare those two experiences for us and kind of what you were feeling and what emotions you were able to kind of come away with both times? Yeah, I think the first Olympics um, in Sochi, I'd kind of just gone through this acceptance phase that like I wasn't going to have an awesome result. And um, it's funny because on the, my training days, I had very not good jumps. Like they were, you know, fine, safe, but distance just wasn't there. And then, um, you get one practice jump before the competition and I kind of like went full force and just like had like a, a pretty good, we call it a trial jump, pretty good trial jump. And my coach tells the story and he says like everyone, all the coaches on the coaches stand 
just kind of like turned to him and was like, oh, she was saving it for competition day type thing. So um, that was pretty funny. But, um, you know, it was just, again, yeah, I was just like, okay, you know, I'm here. I made it. My, my knee is good enough to jump. You know, there was always those fear that it's like I was going to re-injure it in the training up to it. So um, I was in a lot of pain, uh, which was really hard. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, this is how it is. And then looking to the 2018 Olympics, you know, I had just had four years of pretty much the same stuff, like more rehab and kind of just frustrating results. And this past winter, besides that Olympic trials win, it was very, it was a very bad season, like worst, worst results I've ever had. And, um, I was just super frustrated. My knee still hurts. It still hurts today. Um, it hurt hurt the whole season so um but I kind of had this I also had an acceptance that like I wasn't just going to show up and win a medal like um it just it just didn't really happen I wasn't being negative but I had already kind of accepted it so um I think in Sochi I kind of wanted a miracle to happen because I had competed like super well in more recent years so it's like okay forget about your knee and kind of full throttle it and maybe something could happen but honestly in Korea it was just like you know it's just it's not going to happen I got to be accepting of middle of the pack type situation so um I think I think Korea was a little bit more enjoyable I guess because I just um accepted that I didn't really have that frustration of um, that devastation right before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed Korea a little bit more. Um, my boyfriend of four years is also an Olympic athlete and, um, we basically gone to two Olympics together. And, um, so being there with him was really fun. And, um, I, I really, my favorite part about being an Olympian is just meeting the other athletes. And, um, I used to never really be a social person, but, um, there's so many amazing athletes, um, on the U S team specifically. And I mean, I don't really reach beyond that, unfortunately to the international Olympic Olympians, but, um, yeah, I, I know pretty much everyone on the Olympic team. Uh, and that's just so cool. I love following them throughout, you know, their other competitions throughout the years. And those are just amazing relationships that, yeah, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. I mean, just being able to speak and be friends with these people and then kind of in the back of your mind be like oh yeah they're literally the best in the world at this thing you know that's mm -hmm. kind of cool being able to talk to them pick their brain about stuff that is just super interesting and you really only have that opportunity every once in a while because obviously you're all training around the country around the world different sports you're not all going to be in the same place so you get this one couple week period where you're all literally in the same place and you have the opportunity to do that so that's cool also you and your boyfriend that if that's not a power couple i don't know what it is two olympians uh, going to two straight games together that is that is pretty unbelievable so congratulations on that. <laughs> super cool um so a couple more questions i know we're coming up on time and honestly i barely got to anything that we were originally going to talk about which is even better i like when the conversation lets itself flow um so going to your second and i guess third fourth however many acl tears you had at this point the first one as you said like you powered through, you had a very progressive surgery, as you sound, um, as you said, we don't need to get into it. And then you did some unbelievable rehab six hours a day, as you said, for the five months leading up to the games. When the next one happened, and you said, you know, you then 
rehab for 18 months, was there less of a weight on your shoulders knowing like, okay, these games aren't for three years. These games aren't for four years. It's not right around the corner. How did that kind of either change your rehab, change your mentality? What did that do? Now, obviously, unfortunately, you know, we've had some, some other surgeries after that, but I guess that second one specifically, how did that kind of affect your psyche or were you, were you kind of like, Oh wait, I actually get to relax for a minute. This isn't the worst possible thing that happened. Yeah, no, it was, um, I mean, I'm not a very relaxing person. So, oh, okay. Um, Sorry about that then. <laughs> no, basically like my coaches are telling me to literally stop. And, um, that's just kind of how I've always been. Um, always been like full throttle. Um, but yeah, it was definitely like, okay, we have time. That's why I took 18 months. Like, let's just get it right. It's fine. Um, like with my first ACL, like I didn't really realize how much I was p- pushing the boundaries. Like my PT was like sitting in the corner cringing about like the things that I was doing at such a t- short time frame because you know, she knows what it's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. But I think the hardest thing about the second one, I, I had way less pain the second time around. It was like... Um, I still have chronic pain, but I never had like sharp surgery pain, if that makes sense. First, the first one, which was just like horrific, but, um, it was just like the, the mental side of things was like trusting it again. Cause it was like, it already tore once. Why wouldn't it tear again type situation? So, I mean, I still struggle with that today and, um, it's, it's very strong. It's, um, you know, I've done, done everything I can, but I still just some days just have that like gut feeling. I'm just like, why, you know, like, what if, what if I can't imagine going through that again? So that, that's definitely been, been my biggest barrier that I um, had to overcome and still overcoming on a daily basis is, you know, that the rehab worked and that the ACL is strong again, but um, yeah, the mental side of injuries is, is very tough. Absolutely. And I've, clearly never been through anything like that. So I would have absolutely no idea what it's like. Um, I had, I had a deviated septum and I got that fixed. Um, so I was laid up for like two days. That wasn't fun. Uh, but that's pretty much as far as I can go about saying I've been under the knife. So it's, it's incredible. You've been able to come back from it multiple times now and still have such a positive attitude and a good understanding of what's needed of you and really kind of believing I guess just believing that it's possible and just keep going because I mean faith is huge and uh you know the mental aspect of all these things is if not 50 percent it's more you know everyone you you can build all the muscle you want it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it you have to believe and you have to actually know how to execute so it's unbelievable you've been able to do that um so congratulations one more time and so what looking ahead a little bit you know we have four years obviously till the next olympics what are your prospects what are you kind of doing if your knee is still in pain is this something where okay for the first little while we're gonna really relax and then just try and do everything we can to get rid of some of that pain and then start moving forward what is what are the next four years look like for you because i'm assuming you're gonna be making the olympics at least one more time um yeah i haven't quite decided so um i have been taking a, a pretty big break. I actually went to my first like gym session yesterday, like structured gym session, I should say, you know, I, I never stop working out really just because I love it. Yeah. I I hike, I hike, I run actually running doesn't bug my knee contrary to what everyone believes, but, um, uh, hike, run yoga, you know, uh, mountain bike. Um, so I just been doing that like all summer and, um, finally working with some, um, people to help with the pain, um, probably getting some knee injections here shortly. Um, 
and just kind of, um, yeah, re relaxing as much as Sarah can relax, but um, I'm going to school full-time in the fall. Congratulations. Starting in uh, two weeks. It's just a community college, but um, I'm, yeah. I went, to, I went to community college. It's great. I loved it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So um, it's, it's over in Colorado and um, I'm still going to be training pretty diligently in the gym and going to school. And then um, when the snow falls and I finish up that semester, kind of see, see how I feel, get back on the hill and, um, you know, see if I want to compete this, this winter. I'm, I'm planning on competing a few times and um, yeah, just, just see where it goes. So in terms of looking ahead to four years, I honestly have no idea if I, if I can get to being without pain and, um, you know, working on trusting my knee again, I think that's definitely a possibility. But um, for once in my life, I'm kind of taking it like one month at a time versus looking ahead to um, the years ahead of me. So it's, it's been difficult. I haven't been this unstructured in 16 years since I started the sport. So it's, it's really difficult, but um, I think it has to happen. Yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds like you need a little bit of relax a little bit. I know you maybe don't like to relax, but um, I love it and I highly suggest it every once in a while. And it sounds like you're, you're smiling, you're having a good time. So hopefully it's not too much of a facade and you are really relaxing and enjoying yourself and kind of kind of keeping calm a little bit. It sounds like you're into a lot of other things, which is nice. That was gonna be one of my next questions. So it sounds like Turns out most of these Olympics athletes I talk to, if they're not moving or doing something active, they're not really happy. So it sounds like you're, you know, right part par for the course and being outside doing all these things, which is wonderful. Just keeping your brain moving, keeping your body moving and doing these things. Um, you're literally elite athletes. So it, it's not too surprising that you guys like to get outside and do some stuff. So that is unbelievable. What, um, what are you going to college for? Um, I, I mean, just with all my knee injuries, I've, very much been interested in like physical therapist or um you know like a huge dream of mine is like a, a pa a physician's assistant just because i've had such amazing surgeons i would love to be in the orthopedic world like that but i don't know so something something medical me active i don't know i thought about personal trainer nutritionist something like that to stay involved i i love cooking i love um I love being healthy. I love sharing health with other people. And um, I think that's becoming more and more popular. <laughs> I think yeah, it kind right? of fa phased out for a little bit, but um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I'm going down, but got to work through the generals first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Those were pretty boring. Also, they were kind of easy. I went to community college. I can say that. So don't worry. Um, that, that, that definitely makes sense though, that you're kind of moving in the direction of, I mean, how do I want to say it? I mean, like, I guess like one of the worst possible things that happened to you, you can then spin it multiple times and make multiple positives out of it, you know? So that's unbelievable. That's clearly a testament to your personality and your, your will and your strength. Um, and just being able to do that and now kind of like, Hey, Oh, this bad thing happened to me. Now I want to help other people, um, in case it happens to them too. So I think that's pretty incredible. Very, very awesome of you. Really love to hear that. Really love to see that. Um, Man, congratulations. That's super cool. That's super, super cool. College was awesome too. Um, that was, you know, best four years of your life. They weren't lying about that one. Um, okay. So um, I guess uh, two, well, one more question for me because we went over some of the other stuff. Uh, one thing that I want to make sure is that 
that people listening to this really do understand the monetary aspect of being an Olympic athlete. Um, it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same for every sport. Obviously, your sport was literally just created. So I think it's really interesting to hear your perspective from something like this. I'm assuming you guys don't get the same amount of money as men's snowboarding does. That's probably not too surprising. Um, so from your point of view, what has that been like with travel expenses, equipment, coaching, nutrition, which sounds like you're pretty into making sure you're healthy. Oh, that was one thing I wanted to ask. What's your favorite dish to make? Oh, gosh. Um, my mom and I made spring rolls last night, and they're oh. pretty good. So oh, I'm, I'm pretty veggie-based these days. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, but yeah, she, she's been an amazing cook my whole life. So I'm trying, and my brother is too, actually, which is funny. So um, I'm kind of adapting, and I, I just love it. I mean, I travel so much, and I eat so much like hotel food and like mm. going out that like when I'm home, I just like love being in control of my food. Yeah, my grandma is from Italy, so it's yeah, awesome. Dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. It's, it's insane how awesome I get to eat on like every other Sunday. It's perfect. But anyway, so so health, obviously, unfortunately, which is weird, it costs more money to eat healthy. So like, yeah. how have you been able to kind of with very, let's call it little exposure, especially here in the United States with a brand new sport, essentially, at least for the Olympics, meaning I'm assuming the money's not going to be too high coming from, you know, from up top. What has it been like with sponsors going to the games twice and potentially, you know, making a living and being able to live like a normal person, including all the things that you have to pay for and, and, and living that, that lifestyle? Yeah. So I was actually really, really fortunate. Um, in 2006 oh or something, um, one of my teammates' fathers created a nonprofit organization called Women's Ski Jumping USA. And basically they fundraised um, – from the ground up, you know, in Park City, there's very um, wealthy people in the area. So we had very high class um, fundraisers. So they raised a ton of money, not a ton, but enough money for traveling expenses, some equipment, stuff like that. So coaches, which is really the big chunk. So I was very fortunate to be in that generation where I was able to benefit from their organization. And then also, since I had um, that success in those first World Cup years leading up into the Olympics, I got quite a bit exposure um, and was signed to um, Red Bull, which is still one of my sponsors today. So they've been very, very helpful. And um, I also was on um, a cereal box for Kellogg's leading into the Olympic Games, which was a, a nice paycheck. And um, I've been with Nike, I've been with Visa, I had a Visa commercial. So Really, I attribute it to just my timing of when I started to be successful and, um, you know, they stuck with me and um, I, I, I've been able to, you know, I still live with my, my parents when I'm in Park City just because I travel so much. So I've been able to take that and put it in savings. And um, so I, you know, I, I'm, I don't make as much as um, some of the X Games people or the biggest downhillers, you know, for sure. But um, I have been very fortunate where I haven't had to work a job on the side. Um, Of course, having sponsors, there are a lot of requirements. So traveling for appearances and stuff like that. But um, I have been very fortunate. Um, You know, it's not like I'm never going to have to work again by any means. But um, yeah, those sponsors have been really incredible um, for the past couple of years to to help me just um, pay for what I need to pay for equipment and stuff like that. So, um, but it's, you know, it's far from a basketball contract or, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good year if you make, you know, $50,000 type thing. So, um, you know, for me, I, I come, you know, being, you know, in my early twenties, I was, 
that was, uh, you know, plenty, plenty of money. So, um, but, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's difficult not having as much exposure as you would like. But again, I started the sport because I love it, not because of the money. And, um, you know, just to get the endorsements that I've had to get is, um, I, I am very thankful for it. That is, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you to all your sponsors. That's amazing. Um, especially because they have been able to stick with you for so long and been able to help you, um, on this incredible journey that you've been on, which is super cool. And again, that's one of the biggest reasons after speaking with you, I was super, super excited for this, this conversation that we had. And, um, I guess one question off that was it because you had so much success early and were able to gain some of these sponsors quickly, is there, did you have like a warped view of kind of like, Oh, I get to ski and make all this money for the rest of my life. This sounds awesome. Now, like obviously at 21, you realize, or at 18, 19, it's totally different than when you get to 23, 24, you're like, Oh, wait a second. Okay. Um, what, what was that like? And did that kind of like hit you at some point? Like, Oh shoot. Uh, this is not exactly as the way I envisioned it. Um, not really. I mean, I always just kind of, I've never been like a spender. So it was like, I still spend as I did when I was like 16 and, um, you know, got a hundred dollars from my grandma for whatever. Um, so it's just like, I don't know. I, my brain has never really transferred as like my endorsements came in and obviously I've like very few endorsements right now, but, um, I've always just had the same mindset. So I just, like I said, I put in the savings and now like I'm tapping into that to use it for school, which is like a hundred percent what I am passionate about. So I have no problem spending it on that. Um, so yeah, I would say I never really, um, trans transformed. I never went through like a spending phase or anything. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's good. I, my parents were, um, kind of like that we didn't grow up with much hence why I never did alpine skiing or something because it was so much more expensive than ski jumping so um yeah I think I think I was smart with it and um appreciate what I've been able to accumulate and um move forward and you know I I want to work I it's not like I I want to just post up it's um, I have I always have a desire to do something so I think that's a good mindset to have Absolutely. Rather be busy than bored is one thing that I love to live by. And also thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Hendrickson for instilling the value of a dollar. That is extremely important. My parents did the same thing to me mm -hmm. and it's helped out significantly with trying to create a business and uh, yeah. become successful. So it's been very good. Um, awesome. Sarah, that is it for me. Uh, thank you so, so much. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, we've got to know you, understand exactly what you went through. Obviously we'll never really understand it, but we got your point of view, which is important. Got a very awesome understanding of the sport and getting, you know, congratulations again on getting it to become an Olympic sport than being the first person, first female ever. Um, to uh to jump at the olympics is just incredible so thank you again sarah so much we sincerely appreciate it. sarah hendrickson usa national ski jumping team thank you again we hope you have a wonderful day thank you appreciate it hey guys thanks again so much for listening i sincerely appreciate it our athletes is such a fun project that i get to do i mean i get to talk to olympic athletes and hopefuls on essentially a daily basis at this point and i've been really enjoying it if there's anything i can do better please let me know uh, my email is michael at our my Instagram is ourathletes.us. Pretty easy. Um, please rate, review, subscribe, share, do whatever you got to do. I want more people to hear about the show because obviously I think for what our athletes do on a daily basis, they don't get enough recognition. And, you know, I think their stories are pretty much all absolutely incredible. So please um, share this with your friends. Tell them about it. Maybe your parents will like it. It doesn't matter to me. I just want more people to, to um, 
recognize our athletes a little bit. I think it'll be important. So thank you guys so much. Sincerely again, I appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a wonderful episode.